Whoops. You stumbled into that leadership position. You had a big vision, big ideas, but it hasn't gone quite as you planned. You're in the right place. Welcome to the Accidental Leader Podcast with your accidental leader, Bo McDonald. Welcome in to episode number 15 of The Accidental Leader. I'm your host and your fellow accidental leader, Bo McDonald. I'm so excited about today's episode. I, I swear I say this before every episode, but for so many different reasons, I feel like every guest has such a, a cool story that, that I love hearing. And, you know, when you're in an industry long enough, you, you meet people, you, you build relationships with people. And one of the most exciting things for me to see is when I'm scrolling through LinkedIn and you see that post, so-and-so has just started a new position. And, and sometimes it's just a, a lateral move, someone moving companies. But sometimes you have to stop and say, wait, am I seeing this right? So-and-so has, has been moved into a CEO position. They've earned this, this cool promotion. And, and when you look at some of those folks that you've gotten to know, that you've built the relationships with, you know, how hard they've worked, you know, how passionate they are about what they do. And, and you see that news and you get excited and, and you're just so glad to see that. And, and that's kind of today's guest. It, it's someone I've known in our, our industry, in the credit union industry for, for years. We've met at conferences. Uh, we've shared clients. And I just was scrolling through LinkedIn one day and all of a sudden I see this person had accepted the CEO position at the organization that she's been at for, for quite some time. And that was one of those posts where I just had to stop and say, damn, that is so awesome. That is so well deserved. Today's guest, Amber Harson, CEO of Prodigy. Three, two, one. For more resources and to listen to past Accidental Leader podcast episodes, visit theaccidentalleader.com. Courtesy of our sponsors, your marketing company and Uncommon. Amber, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Bo. It's great to be here. So I kind of set this up. I, I can't tell you how how proud I am, how excited I am to to see you come into this. And I'm sure some days you, I, I know some of the work that you do, you, you'd probably rather go flip burgers at, at McDonald's <laughs> or something with, you know, all leadership positions come with their, their own um, struggles. But before we get into any of that, I'd like to introduce my guests to uh, to the listeners Amber, tell us a little bit about you. Give, give us some of your background. You haven't always been the CEO of Prodigy. You have, you, you've been an accidental leader through, through so many different phases of life. Start, start from the, the early days of, of who Amber is. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so early days, if we go all the way back to the wee beginning of my professional life, um, right after I graduated high school, uh, two weeks after I graduated high school, which was a, a feat in and of its own for those that... Uh, know me well. You'll have heard this story uh, for those that are, are just meeting me. Uh, I was a teen mom. I, I got uh, pregnant my sophomore year of high, uh, of high school. Uh, and um, at the time, uh, we were homeless and uh, not doing super great in life. And uh, I managed to plug through with a lot of support from family and graduate 
And two weeks after my graduation, which a lot of people didn't think was even going to happen, I got really lucky and landed a job as a drive-through teller at a credit union here in Utah. And that really has set off a trajectory of um, events and connections and mentors and supporters and cheerleaders uh, throughout the rest of my career that has eventually landed me here. So I spent about six years with that first credit union in various positions. Uh, I ultimately ended up as an assistant manager while I was finishing up college with a a toddler uh, at home. And uh, graduated college, that was just going to be my college job uh, for the first stop, realistically speaking. I didn't think I was going to be in credit unions. I thought I wanted to be in the medical field. And so I was going to to college while I was working at the credit union. And I loved the credit union, but it wasn't where I thought I was going to be. Graduated, got a really phenomenal job at the University of Utah, uh, working in an international drug trial, which uh, is one of the things I'm still most proud of, but was definitely one of the most emotionally taxing things I've ever done. Uh, and, and made it about two years before I determined that the medical field, while wonderful and necessary, and everyone who works in the medical field is a saint, wasn't for me. And that I really missed credit union land. And I had a coworker tell me, that she was sort of getting tired of listening to me reminisce about my credit union life and uh, that she thought it might be a good idea for me to consider going back. Uh, And so I did. I um, uh, went into the credit union that I banked at and I I walked into it. I had some connections there. I knew they were looking for a branch manager and I asked one of my friends there to introduce me to their COO. And I walked into his office and put my resume on his desk and said, "Uh, I think I should be your next branch manager. And uh, he apparently appreciated that pluckiness because he did give me the job and uh, stayed with them for another six years, eventually ended up running all all of their technology uh, acquisition and merger departments, um, doing a lot of project management, uh, reporting directly to the CFO and um, on a track to, to be part of the executive team there when a unique opportunity came up for me at Prodigy. Uh, And so almost 10 years ago now, I actually left credit union land to join Prodigy and uh, be able to employ some of my skills and passions to helping credit unions along their technological journey. I started out as a member of the project team here at Prodigy doing core conversions. I did that for a little while, Uh, moved into running that team then moved into running product and working with the development team as a liaison between credit union clients and our developers because we speak different languages and they need help sometimes. Uh, then took over sales and marketing, uh, became chief product officer and then executive vice president. And then uh, three years ago, uh, was blessed with um, the opportunity to take on the CEO job and uh, accepted that and haven't looked back since. So it's been quite a journey from drive-through teller to technology company CEO over the course of the last 25 years of my career, uh, but I wouldn't trade it for anything. And, and those that I've met along the way have um, paved that path for me. So I'm, I'm really grateful that they've helped me create the life for my family that I hoped I would have a long time ago. You think back to those high school years when, you know, everything probably seemed impossible except just getting through day to day. Did you ever think I'm going to be the CEO of a technology company someday? Oh, never. 
never. That never uh, crossed your mind? No. I was a very ambitious young child. I, again, the medical field was where I thought I was going to go. I had told everyone when I was eight years old that I was going to be a pediatrician that graduated from Princeton. Um, and then uh, my uh, path veered a little bit, clearly. <laughs> And uh, I never would have anticipated being a CEO anywhere. Uh, not even had I stayed in credit union land, that wasn't the path. I, I really thought for a long time during that high school time that I was going to um, be working a manufacturing company job. Um, and no offense to anybody who does that. My parents are both, both still to this day in that kind of work. Uh, but that's where I thought I would be. And um, uh, a couple professors in college who really believed in me and, and saw something that I didn't in myself uh, were actually the ones who started to push me down a very different path of thinking I, I could do more than I was giving myself credit for at the time. If you had to have an outer body experience and, and, and you were the parent looking at yourself, what, what advice would you have given yourself at that point? I ask wow. almost selfishly because my fiance has, has three kids and she's got a son that, that's just graduating high school and, and he's kind of all over the place. And you look at him, you're like, gosh, you've got so much potential. What are you doing? And, and, and it's hard to see in the moment, but you, you think, you know, it's the younger years. You've got so much to learn and, and things yeah. to, to go through that, you know, you're, you're almost expecting them to pop out of high school or college and, and become the CEO of a technology company right then. It's hard to think back that long ago. It is. I, I would say, um, do the scary thing for me. And I say that from my perspective in that, um, as I mentioned, I kind of expected that my life was probably going to take a path of uh, more, more blue collar type work. And uh, I got my job at the credit union by way of a temp agency, which isn't very common in credit union land. And the credit union that I worked for happened to do be hiring via temp agency as a, as a experiment. And we were the only group they ever did this with. And I was terrified to walk into this financial institution and take a job because I didn't believe that I was good enough. I didn't believe that I was the right kind of person for that work. Like I viewed banking as this kind of almost like wealthy people's work almost, right? The movies and TV have always made us think bankers or these rich folks were not necessarily for the regular people. And I couldn't have been more wrong, but I was terrified. And there were there were times leading up to that that I I didn't think I was worthy of those kinds of jobs and that I would I shouldn't even go and I should have them look for something else. Uh, so I, I would say, don't let that overtake you lean into the fear and try it because you don't know what's going to happen. And if it doesn't work great, find something else, but don't let the fear dry, keep you from at least trying the scary thing. Isn't it amazing when, when you look back, you know, I have this conversation with leaders so often you think about all of that crap in your root system, the, the lies you believe of, I'm not good enough. I can't do this. Yep. And, and so often you are good enough. You're, you're just in your own way. You, you've got these lies that people have told you or that for whatever reason, you just start believing about yourself and you're the one that really is limiting yourself. It's you and, and only you in so many cases. Mm -hmm. Very much. It can be. And that's the hardest thing I think to get to tell someone else to let go of, right? Like 
when you're having those feelings internally, an external source is really hard to hear it from and actually take it to heart. So um, I think that's the important thing is to trust the people that you know, love you when they are saying those things to you and that they're not lying to you. And let that be some of that armor that you can help put on to push through that fear. So over the course of the the 25 years, you've worked with a bunch of leaders. If you could go back and identify the one leader who you say, this is this is why I am the good leader that I am today. I've been able to learn from this person. I think back and, and think about what they would do in certain situations. Who's, who's that one leader for you? Oh, I have two. Uh, and interestingly, they both are not from the credit union space, although they are great too. But I have two. So the dean of my um, program in college was really the first catalyst for me uh, where he recognized something and he he really took me under his wing and um, cultivated some of my skill and helped put me into leadership positions throughout my college career uh, and let me either uh, sink or swim, so to speak. And uh, thankfully, I swam <laughs> most of those. And he is the one who helped facilitate for me uh, the job that took me to the second most impactful leader. Um, so he, he was the one who really taught me to continue leaning into the fear and to push past things. And he convinced me to apply for the job at the University of Utah that I was not technically qualified for. Uh, that was a position that required a master's degree. I didn't have a master's degree. Um, he had a contact and a colleague that was uh, running this drug study. She was the physician in charge of the drug study. He reached out to her and said, I think she can do good things for you. Um, and got me in as an internship to start in a neurogenetic drugs, international drug study, right? So here I've gone now from credit union assistant manager to running an international drug trial for a neurogeneticist, which was a crazy leap. Um, but he was the, the first one that taught me to kind of shoot for the stars because she ultimately interviewed uh, we hit it off greatly. She also uh, trusted this person and, and, and they brought me in and she fought with the university for six months to get me a full-time position on her staff, even though I was underqualified based off of their graduate standards and their degree standards. Um, she is actually the second catalyst leader for me. Uh, as I came in to work with her at the hospital, she was this brilliant female uh uh, neurologist, which is a tough field for women. It's, it's a heavily male-dominated field. Um, she also probably had the worst case of adult ADHD I've ever encountered in my life. Um, you yeah, spend was, more time with me then. I'll, yeah, I'll, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you've got some. Yeah, you've got some of that too. But I've definitely seen it. But she was this flitting hummingbird of a of a woman, five foot two absolutely brilliant, specialized in a couple of very rare neurological disorders, very demanding. She set the bar very, very, very high. Uh, and she, for me, became a pivotal leader because she uh, taught me how to champion for people. She, because she championed for me for such a long time to get into this career in the first place with her, she also taught me to pass that on and pay it forward and champion for others. And that sometimes the degree or the paper isn't all that matters. There is more, more to being a leader or a great contributor to a team or an impactful contributor to a team than just that. 
and how to look for those traits in other people and how to identify those traits in other people and then to fight for them when they deserve a chance. So the special quality to, to be able to see something in someone that, that no one else sees, what, what did you learn from her? How, because I, I know several of the, the younger team members at, at your place now, you kind of take them under yeah. your weight and, and you, you love doing that. What is that one quality that she taught you that, that you can look at someone and, and kind of size them up and say, there's, there's things here that, that other people don't see. Heck, there's things here that this person doesn't see. How do you do that? Observation and listening, looking for grit and tenacity and those people that aren't, that even when they're afraid, they'll jump, right? You give them a, a task or a challenge or an assignment that you kind of know is above their skill set or their experience. They have not encountered it before and watch how they handle that. Um, and they may not deliver a perfect product at the end. Um, but the fact that they'll try and that they'll dig in and that they'll give you their best work uh, are typically the ones we're going to look for. So she really helped me to to figure out ways to bring that out in people and um, and really understand those that are going to kind of roll up their sleeves, right? And, and do the work even when they don't understand it or they, they haven't had any experience with it before. But definitely grit and tenacity. I know you haven't met her, but I feel like your story is so similar to the, the vice president of our creative department at, at your marketing company, Jennifer. She was a guest a, a few episodes ago. She came in as a graphic designer. I didn't really hear her speak for like six months. She she was so <laughs> quiet. She was an awesome designer, but I started to learn her personality and and really get to know her. And I remember her saying, I don't want anything to do with leadership. I, I love designing. And we had gone through a time of of two or three folks who had been in charge of the design department just very rapidly. They would come and, and go. And we were just in a pinch. I was frustrated. And it was about two weeks after after someone had left that was leading her. And this is probably the, the third person. And I started noticing that she was leading the design department, not overpowering, not coming in and, and being bossy, but she would just see the things that needed to be done and started doing it. And, and it hit me that she's our next leader of, of this department because yeah. she's not being asked to lead. She's not asking for a title. She's not asking for a raise. She sees something that needs to be done. She's stepping in and, and she's doing it well. And I almost feel like, you know, that's your story at, at Prodigy. You, you've been there and, and you'd been through several leaders. And I feel like you just, you were so passionate about the team and, and the work you do. It was just a, a natural fit. How, how, why would we have to go look somewhere else? Tell us a little bit about that story, how you stepped into that role. Uh, yeah, Jen Jennifer and I probably could swap some stories because um, there was a long time in my career that I, I said, uh, particularly while I was still at the credit union, uh, that I said, I like having a seat at the table, but I don't want to be at the head of the table. And uh, I also likewise didn't ever ask for a lot of promotions or raises throughout my career. I let them organically come to me. Uh, and the same holds true at Prodigy. I was not expecting to be named chief product officer. Uh, when I, when I received that designation, I was kind of perfectly happy leading the product team and working with the developers and, um, doing what I was doing and, and the board of directors and the CEO at the time, uh, I think saw the same thing. I was sort of 
naturally coming in and um, driving strategy and without being asked or even sometimes knowing that I was doing so uh, and rewarded me that way. And uh, I was actually offered the CEO job at Prodigy once before when that particular CEO parted ways with us. Uh, the board asked if I was interested and I was like, nope, I like having a seat at the table, but I don't want to be at the head of the table. We've, you know, we've talked about this. Remember, I, I like being part of the team. I like being able to share ideas and collaborate with the team, but I don't want to be the last man or woman on the totem pole. I'm really happy where I'm at. And uh, so we moved forward. We hired someone else uh, who taught me a lot about running a business. Um, uh, the CEO that came in, Brett Weeks is his name. Um, he did a lot to help teach me about running a, a business from the financial perspective. So I got to learn under him for for some time, which was really great. And uh, when he got called to to perform a religious mission for his church, which is a very prestigious honor in, in his religion, um, but it requires a three-year commitment. So he had to make a, a decision to uh, retire from his professional career to take advantage from that. He advocated then for me to throw my hat in the ring. And I said, Oh, I don't know. You know, I, I still, again, I like having a seat at the table, but I'm not sure I want to be at the head of the table. Uh, and then my board chair called and said, I really think you need to consider this. And I had to sit back and, and ask myself and say, how many times are you going to get asked twice? And, and I had to sort of drill back to, to my own advice about leaning into the fear and why was I not wanting to take that seat at the head of the table and what, what was kind of keeping me from that and realized it was very much rooted in fear of failure and fear of not being good enough. Uh, and that I had to really tell myself again to lean into the fear and that it's possible I might fail. You know, we're three years in, it's not over yet. You never know what's going to happen, but I definitely needed to park that and at least try and give myself the credit that other people were seeing in me and give it a shot. Uh, and I knew I was going to take a great team with me. I was inheriting a great team and, and have built that great team um, around me. But it it was a lot of convincing and a lot of people saying, like, you're not seeing it in yourself. I think you need to give this a try. And I found out that I actually got given the role of CEO at GAC uh, the year of COVID. So I was with um, all my friends from GAC, your marketing company, uh, all the different vendor partners we work with. And and I was out with them at dinner and uh, got the call that I was actually being given the job and got to celebrate it with everyone. So it was a, a really great lead up to that, but definitely a lot of, of fear that had to be overcome. It's really hard to be a successful leader, a successful CEO when fear cripples you. And I know you've been successful. So what have you had to do over the last few years to get that natural instinct of, I'm not going to do this because I'm afraid. When you're a leader, you've got to take risks, not just accepting the position, but afterwards making, making some big decisions for the organization. What have you done as a leader to, to try to get that head trash out and, and, and get around that? Oh, I'd love to say I've got it out and got around it, but I would be lying through my teeth if I said that that was the case. Uh, I probably still encounter that, that fear and self-talk every two weeks. There's something, right, where I'm like, oh my gosh, what if I make the wrong choice? Is this going to impact my people? Is this going to impact my clients? What does this really mean? Am I headed down the right path? I think to not admit that we all maybe have some level of that, the noise might be lower or the volume might be lower 
sometimes than other times, but I think it always exists, uh, is, is kind of a, a falsity if we try to pretend that it's not there. Um, those are typically the times if I find the volume really, really loud, uh, that I either need to take a, I know I need to sort of take a mental break and, and maybe break from work for a minute and, and focus on some self-care relationship with my family and just sort of get myself out of the loop. Or I know that's when I can turn to my team or my circle and be like, Hey, I need to, can I talk something out with you? So for me, it's really been about um, not necessarily trying to constantly search for how to make it stop because I just don't know if that's a, a reality, but it, at least for me, um, but it is about uh, finding ways to not be in my own echo chamber around the fear of whatever it might be and, and cultivating the relationships with those that I trust uh, to be able to run those things by them and, and have them help pick out the illogical parts. I'm really good at doing that for other people, but I'm not as good at doing it for myself. So having some others around me that can help me relogic back into it, like I would do for them has been um, vital. Uh, and I, and I don't think personally that I could uh, be in a CEO role without a circle of people for that. So if you're like me, you, you encounter these decisions the fear pops up and you start thinking about all these different scenarios. You immediately go to worst case scenario. Yep. Those times where you've encountered that, how often does worst case scenario actually happen? I don't, I don't think ever yet. Yeah. I don't think ever yet. Right. Which should teach us something, <laughs> but yet it still comes up. So that's why I think it's just not ever going to go away. Maybe it's, it's our healthy gut check. Uh, to not let us get overly confident and, and then maybe start making careless decisions. But there, there's got to be a purpose for it. You know, it's funny because we, I've encountered that for the last three or four years. There, there's these big changes I've been wanting to make in my business. And every time it would come up, I'm like, well, we can't do that. Our clients will hate it. They won't understand. They're, they're all going to fire us. And then I don't have a business and then I don't have a team. What am I going to tell them? And I finally made the big decision. It was last August, met with my leadership team, kind of shared this plan. They were all on board. We started sharing it with our clients just uh, about two months ago. And mm-hmm. I shared it with just three of them first. And and while they asked them questions, they're like, why didn't you do this before? This is great. And all of a sudden, I'm like, these years of fear. So then I take it to all of our clients. I'm like, here's the changes we're making. Here's how this is going to impact you. Here's why we're doing this. And so far, I haven't had anyone say, this is horrible. I hate you. We're firing you. Not one of them. And even if, you know, worst case scenario, they all fire us. I would expect, you know, two or three might say, ah, change. That's not for me. But it, it took four years. Not yeah. any decision that has taken me that much time to make. I can think back on several. I was think, what if I'd made that three years earlier? Yeah. Instead of letting fear get in the way, how much better off would I be right now? If I didn't listen to that head trash, if, if I didn't let fear overcome me and I just ripped the bandaid off and I did this thing. Yeah, exactly. That boldness, right? And, and I, for me, I feel like sometimes that boldness gets dampened a little bit out of the fear of if I do make the wrong choice, do I impact these 42 people that work for me? Can they, are they going to be able to pay their mortgages? Um, but on the flip side, those bold 
those bold decisions are, are usually the catalyst to something greater that benefits those people too. And, and I think sometimes that's what I have to remind myself is, is the, uh, for, I'll, I'll, I can't share too much of the details of this, but we're, we have a very significant uh, investment that we're getting ready to make it a prodigy um, that most or providers would think was just nuts. Um, but at the end, if we pull this off, which I fully believe we can, my team will, will benefit greatly from it. And, and I do the same thing where I look back and say, why didn't I start this as soon as I took over? I know I've known we want, we should move in this direction. I felt very strongly about it for three years. What's been the holdup and it's the same thing. So I can relate really closely to what you're, what you're talking about, Bo, as, as um, that fear factor and like, well, if we're wrong, what does that mean for everyone else? And, but on the, the other side of that coin is what opportunity can we help facilitate and create for those people on our teams. And, and that's a, an, another thing, I, a tactic, I think, that I try to remind myself sometimes when I get into the fear is, what if I don't? What if I don't do this? What does that look like? Does that let my team really flourish? Will they really be able to um, have careers they're proud of at a company that they're really proud of and that they're energized by and that they're excited by? And does that create for them the ability to have financial stability and equity and um, homes and babies and retirement and all those other things that we need to, to meet our, our hierarchy of needs? What if I don't do it? Will they be able to do it or will the path take longer for them? So I think that becomes a powerful motivator. I've always had to remind myself of the advice that I give to my clients all the time, but I eventually had to start taking it myself. Don't avoid risk, manage it. Yeah. And once, once you start looking at what is worst case scenario and what are the chances that's actually going to happen, what are the actual realistic negative sides of this? And if it does happen, how bad is it? It's usually not. It's usually yeah. not that yeah. bad. Typically not. Typically not. However, we all have to dump that bucket of the fear or at least turn the volume down is our wise advice. So I want to flip the script a little bit, and, and this is yeah. the point when I say, oh, don't name names, I mean, unless you really want to. If you can think back out of the leaders you've worked with, you talked about some of the great leaders that have instilled yeah. great things into you that you've, you've brought with you. What is that one leader that, that when you became CEO, when you started leading people, you said, I will never be like that person? Who is that leader in your past that you look at that motivates you to, to be the opposite of that person? How, and how did they impact you? Oh, that's a loaded question for me because I have a, there is one leader. Um, I, I, um, out of respect, I'm actually not going to name names, but there's someone who for me personally was a, a, did a lot to cultivate my career and taught me a lot, but for the culture, uh, was ended up being very, very damaging. And so it was a very interesting dichotomy to work through. It was a, a CEO prodigy. I will go that, that far. Uh, it was a very interesting dichotomy because I personally saw benefit from that relationship and that mentorship. Um, but I professionally within the culture of our organization uh, saw it get ripped to tatters. Um, so for me, I, I've been able to say, 
okay, there's parts of that that I would want to pick out and I would want to keep and that I would want to use. And there's other things I never, ever, ever want to be like that. Uh, I never want to be in a space. This particular uh, leader had a, a habit of pitting employees against one another uh, and kind of creating cliques and um, almost armies against one another. Uh, that really, really got very bad and was very damaging to the success and forward momentum of the company. It was very damaging to the psyche of a lot of our employees. Um, we only half joke, those of us who made it through that, that we have PTSD from that experience, uh, professional PTSD from that experience, that those are the types of things I never want to do, right? I, I never want anyone on my team to feel like it's an us versus them mentality internally. I never want them to feel like there's a spy in their midst, uh, which are some of the emotions that came out during that time where nobody trusted anybody because they thought everybody was spying on everybody and telling on everybody. And um, it just got really, really toxic and uh, really, really dangerous. Uh, and I, I think it, um, I think it set back Prodigy as a company for three years, at least, if not more to be honest. Um, but on the flip side, they also taught me a lot of things about, uh, strangely enough, servant leadership, although they didn't practice it very well. Uh, and, uh, some other, some other frameworks, but, um, the, that was the leader that I vowed to never be like, I'd never, ever, ever want to be in a situation like that again, as a leader or as a participant. You know, it's amazing that, that you caught on to that so early. If you go back to the early episodes of, of this podcast, I talk about the, yep. the tale of the two Johns. You did. And, and the one toxic John, I, I feel the same way about him that without having worked for him, I don't think I would be able to stick up for myself like I do today. I, I, I would be a, a weaker person. And, and what I learned from him is, is that yep. those people can be scary if you let them be scary. And, you know, I, I Unfortunately, I, I led like him for many years thinking, well, it strengthened me. It made me a better person. It inspired me. And I, I just thought everyone is like me. Mm -hmm. Turns out I ran a lot of good people away from my company because I was being like the, the other John yeah. uh, and thinking that this is, this is how you lead. And unfortunately, that, uh, that wasn't the case. You, you learned that a whole lot earlier than I did. Of you know, I'll pull these three things out of this relationship and, and the rest, uh, I need to do the total 180. I, I wish I had learned that 15 years ago. I have caught myself uh, occasionally falling into uh, kind of what I've coined more of a command and control space, uh, which is, is where that kind of and ultimately ended up. And um, I think what's really interesting about that, Bo, is, is that was the CEO that left. And the first time that I was offered the CEO role at Prodigy and turned it down, I do think that I would have probably done the exact same thing. If I had tried to step into that role at that time, coming out of that very toxic environment, that very damaged culture, I think I would have leaned into the, the things that I had recognized that I felt like were good for me. And I think I would have tried to lead too much like that person because it took me some reflection through the next three years um, of my role in that culture. I was, I was there. So all of us that were there had to play a part. We all had a role. I had to very much reflect on my role in that and process, process through my own emotions about it, 
uh, take ownership and, and make apologies to people that I owed apologies for, for things that I maybe did in that time uh, that I, sh- that I wouldn't have done in hindsight or wouldn't want to do again. Uh, but I think I had to have that break. I, I do think I would have very much done what you just talked about for yourself if I had tried to step into that role right away. So in a lot of ways, I'm grateful for being too afraid to take the job at that point, because I think it's what helped me reflect back and understand the parts that I did or did not want to model uh, in that. But that was, and that was three years of work. It was three years of very intensive reflection and, uh, and frankly, a lot of regrets. So one final question for you as we wrap up episode number 15. I want to talk about the word joy. There's yeah. something that, you know, we follow each other on social media. Yep. There's one thing that, that I absolutely love about you and, and you take time for family. You are the CEO of a technology company that, that has a lot of growing pains that, that you've really done a ton of work to, to grow and, and make better over the last three years. But I always see you on Facebook going to football games. Yes. Not just going, but you're in it. You're not just attending. You really find that balance of, of joy and spending time with family. How do you do that? Because that's so difficult for, for I would say, some people, for most people. Well, I, I will say that I don't think I'm per- perfecting that in any way because my version of involvement tends to organically be so high. So I started off as just a mom for that team. Uh, We were one team. Then I decided I was going to help that coach build a program. And now we are 14 teams and 200 athletes strong. Uh, And I'm actually the president of the board. So I kind of turned it into another job. So I got to be a little careful and I need to be honest and kind of caution about that. But what I found is that I have a tendency, and that was an example of that, I have a tendency to be maybe a little bit too involved in work and creating success out of everything or trying to create success out of everything or make everything bigger and better and better and stronger. But I get the the added bonus in this case of there are 200 kids from 10 to 16 or 17 that have a true, pure love for something. And they just want to come out and have fun and they want to compete. And I, that energy is quite a draw. And to, to be part of that and watch them grow and watch them succeed, even if it just means they went from a backup to a starter on their cute little little league team uh, is really rewarding. And so I've, I've needed to um, balance my professional life a little bit with watching other people succeed. Um, too, and watching that in in kids and youth and my own children has been great. Um, I also happen to just really, really like my kid. I think he's really cool. Uh, He's 15 now. We have a great time together traveling around for football. We've gotten to do some fun things. Uh, We've gotten to spend a lot of really good quality time together. And um, being so close to a teenager as he's growing into his own person um, and figuring out who he is and what he wants to contribute to the people around him and the world around him um, is the best job I have. It, it outranks everything else I'll ever do, 100%. You know, something cool about that, for, for years I said, I don't want kids. I'm never having kids. I don't have any of my own. Life has a funny way of turning things around on yeah. you. So you get some uh, bonus kids now. My, my fiance has three kids. And it is I... Oh, sometimes I get so frustrated 
and, and I have to pause and look and say, wait a minute, that was me. Those yep. things that I'm frustrated at, that was me. And I, I've got to check myself. But one of the coolest things is all of the, the sports that they're involved in. I was never athletic as a kid. Same. Uh, so, you know, it was all new to me going to, you know, after school sports stuff. But one of the things that I think keeps me young and keeps me in check and, and brings me the word joy when you go to those those games and you see them just having fun, they're just cutting up, they're they're saying stupid things, they're they're being silly. If I didn't have that in my life, I'd probably be be growing more and more every day as a grumpy old man without joy yeah. in life. Just thinking we've got to get work done. There's thing there's stuff to get done. And and when I sit back and look at that, it it gives me the opportunity to say, gotta find joy. If if I can't bring this kind of joy to to my work, to my team, and, and not be so serious about things, uh, that can get pretty miserable pretty fast. Yeah. The best parts are after a really challenging week um, at work, right? Like it's not, you know, this better than anyone else. It's a lot of responsibility to uh, run a company and employ people. And so the best thing after a week is when I We'll go to a high school game, for instance, and I'll, and I'll walk up and five or six of the athletes will turn around and yell, Miss Amber, and they'll run over to the sideline and dap you up. I know all the lingo, by the way, if you'd like to know the teenage lingo, Bo, I mean, I'll give you a lesson. Um, and they run over. That instantly refreshes my soul for me to be ready for the next week. So it's been a, a nice way to refill the bucket for sure. So we're coming up on time. Amber, I just want to say thank you. I know you are getting ready to travel. You made some time to, to yeah. come on the podcast this morning. I, I appreciate it. In fact, you're getting ready to travel for, for football yep. over, over this weekend. So I don't want to keep you from that. But I just want to say thank you for sharing your story. You know, Every, every accidental leader that I've had on here to, to have discussions with, there's always so many unique stories of, of where we've come from and, and what we're doing now. And, and I feel like w- with every story, someone... I get a text or, or an email or a comment on social media from people saying, that was me. I, I, I needed to hear that again, just to, to ground me and, and remind me that I, I can do this. So I, I just want to say thank you for being vulnerable, for being open and, and sharing your story. I can't imagine how many folks will listen to this and be inspired. No, thank you. I, you're, this podcast is great. I texted you after the very first ep- or messaged you after the first episode and said, um, I don't remember exactly what I said, but the, uh, for me, I, I want to thank you for doing this because one of the things that you helped me recognize is that um, I'm not alone. These challenges and the feelings that that come up are not uh, unique and um, we all face them and we all handle them maybe in our own unique ways. But I, I actually want to say thank you for allowing there to be a space for us to remember that we're not alone in these and we all care deeply and want to do great things for the people that we've been chosen to lead. By giving us such a lonely place. It can be so lonely. And uh, so thank you for giving us all uh, room to be vulnerable and to share uh, and connect. So I appreciate you very much for, for getting this podcast together. And thank you for listening. Thank you for the kind words. And I cannot wait to see what you do in the next three years. I know you've got some big stuff and I look forward to seeing that. Absolutely. Thanks so much, Bo. Thank you, Amber. And we are wrapping up episode number 15 of The Accidental Leader. You can find us online at theaccidentalleader.com. Check out this episode. You can check out the past 14 episodes. And uh, we've got a blog coming soon. For more resources and to listen to past Accidental Leader podcast episodes, visit theaccidentalleader.com. 
courtesy of our sponsors, your marketing company and Uncommon.